Hello and welcome to the Free Associates. That's right, folks, the Free Associates. The freedom of association, the freedom to associate with anybody, anything, any idea that comes our way, just anybody. Could be totally derelict. It doesn't really matter. You know, we don't have to spend a lot of time on everything, but we have to spend a little time on everything because in everything there might be something, and in something there might be some kind of path forward out of all of this giant kerfuffle. I'm not just talking about COVID. I'm not just talking about a pandemic. I'm talking about the whole American system or the whole world system or globalism or anything you say it is. Whatever it is, then that's something that we could be looking for a way out of, folks. I mean, I don't know about you, but it could be really cool that things might change on the other side of this. I could be wrong. Now, we have been doing the Politico series on future predictions of COVID. We've just been setting them up like bowling pins and knocking them down. These poor guys, they had like half an hour to write their predictions. It was seven weeks ago. And now we sit in the comforts of our home, just having fun with them. Although, you know, some of them have more merit than others. We've seen a couple that we've really liked. Now, you are listening to The Pre-Associates. I'm about to hypnotize Waylon. Waylon is, of course, the master of design and stuff like that. But no, he can't be hypnotized because I can't get the light. Why is this so clear? <laughs> <laughs> it was so easy at the beginning, but no, I can't. Uh, uh, oh, where's the light? Where's the light? Where's the light? Ah, oh, I don't know, guys. I don't you know, know what? And I you know, expect me to follow it. your cult if you can't even blind me by the light? I know, I gotta work on it. It's my apologies, my apologies. Now, you may be listening on WMUA Amherst. We do rebroadcast this every day at noon, um, but we also push this out through Facebook Live, typically at 3 in the afternoon on a weekday. You can like us on our page, you can give us money, you can do all kinds of things. You can do a giant banner, you can go out on your little balcony and sing to us at 7 o'clock at night. Or you can just do nothing whatsoever. Uh, Waylon and I, Waylon, how you doing, pal? I'm doing well, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Yeah, no, you're not. You're just saying that for the crowd, I can tell. <laughs> Waylon and I were complaining about the weather forecast, folks. It's yeah. It cannot break 65 this month. I don't think this month is going to see 65. And I, mean, I just got a new phone, too, and one of the widgets that I have is the 10-day forecast. Yeah. And it's I, I've never done a 10-day forecast yeah, before. I've been so tuned in, and it's just the worst time to have the 10-day forecast. Because it's well, just, oh, it wouldn't be bad if it said 72, but yes, it is a bad time to have the 10-day forecast. Yeah. I live by that forecast, and the one thing that they're always right about is the temperature. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. There's other things they'll get wrong, but they always get the temperature right. And, you know, I guess God is trying to get us to social distance because this weather really keeps a lot of people inside. I myself yeah. do not feel that well, but I don't think I'm super sick, but something. I just feel tired and sluggish. Change of the season, perhaps. All right, Waylon, my friend, so we should jump into it. Now, one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to turn off my own view. I have to say, Waylon, I had a kind of unfortunate, I had a great class on Thursday. Uh, I had 29 kids on that class. It was great. But yeah, my, my, great. the next day, my freshman showed up. And there was 18 of them, and only one put their video on. And I found that really demoralizing, to be honest with you. Now, I don't really know them that well because they had a student teacher. And listen, if they don't want to put their video on, that's their prerogative. I understand. I have never would say, hey, put your video on. But it's hard to talk to 18 blank boxes. It just feels not good. I don't know yeah, if you've especially if they're that. all muted and stuff. And Yeah. Yeah, it was not fun. But, you know, Thursday, Wednesday, and Thursday were fun, and... You know, I don't know if I can discreetly say something like, I encourage you to turn on your video. We can have more engagement. I mean, you don't have to. I think that's what I got to do next time. Well, this is what happened to me. It's actually kind of funny. I had a student who 
I'm in the middle of lecture. All of a sudden I look and they're going like this, right? Mm-hmm. Butterfly knife. Like, oh, going like this, like they're, they're huh. some sort of like greaser, right? Yeah, and I'm yeah, like, definitely. oh God. <laughs> so afterwards, I, I obviously made it to a reporter. So I, I, I you know, signal to admin. I'm like, hey, there was a student oh, with butterfly yeah, knives yeah. and everything. Snitch. Uh, get a, I know. <laughs> no, that's, I get that's, a, that's called snitching. That's not being a reporter. I get a, uh, I get a email back. It was a comb. Oh, yeah, it was a yeah, butterfly yeah. knife comb. Oh, yeah, I had one of those. Thank God. But I mean, like, it's just so funny. I mean, they were so good at it. Right. They were just like flinging it around and going like this, like casual. Like, well, by the way, just on a side note, have you seen that documentary about the guy who's blind, who's like a master card trick guy? Have you seen that? No. Oh, it's really, you should check it out. I'll, I'll find the title for you. It's really good. But like, you can't even believe what this guy does with a deck. And he's blind, you know. Huh. Uh, it's it. You would love it. Um, yep. Yeah, I used to have a butterfly knife. My mom took it away from me. I was like 14 or 15. She's like, no. It was one of those moments where she's just like, I get it. And no, you cannot have that. Yeah, yeah. It was too sharp, you know, and I was not agile enough for that. All right, folks, we've 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 had our little fun. I haven't seen Waylon in a couple of days. I invited him over yesterday, but he's kind of like, oh, I can't get him. My, you know, it's like said Sunday was weird for him. So supposed to was. be in church. I, I, I don't know. It's just like. It's one of those things where it's like psychologically we were talking we're talking about it. it's like the day it's like ingrained into every single religion too and, and culture it's like on sunday you rest yeah and so i rest but at the same time i'm like i got stuff to do yeah. but it's okay to rest on a sunday so i just always grapple with it i'm just a workaholic so it just doesn't yeah. doesn't sit well with me but i try to just it puts me in this weird uncomfortable situation well, but i try to, not to work coming to see me <laughs> is not oh work. yeah <laughs> just to be clear i didn't want yeah, you to yeah, like yeah. dig up any trees oh yeah, um, yeah you know robin and i for a long time we had a sabbath on sunday sundown saturday night to sundown sunday night meant no internet except like watching movies no shopping except for food and no work you couldn't ask the other person to do any work i mean you clean the kitchen and i'm telling you it saved us in times huh. in which we were really like really against the wall in terms of work and stuff, it saved our family. Uh, so I recommend that to anybody who's like overloaded. You have to take a day off, even in the worst medieval, <laughs> in the worst draconian medieval village, they took a day yeah. off. You know? Well, so what I do, I I watched, I, I binge watched for like maybe three hour shows. That's my thing on Sunday. Okay. So it almost is like, it's almost mandatory at this point to be to have seen all of certain shows because I just get peppered by text. Right. Oh, did you wow. watch all of Tiger King? Oh, did you watch all yeah. of this? Oh, all or nothing is out. So it's like I got all these shows that I need to watch. So like that's that's almost like the the checklist is that that I they rectify on Sundays. So that's yeah. that's my thing. yeah yeah you're you're single. Um, so let's let's go to the reading. Um, by the way, quickly, how to drink, how to fix a drug scandal? Have you seen that on Netflix? See, that's one that I keep on getting no. peppered by. Everybody's it's o- like, it's and okay. it's Northampton based. Well, that's and- true. You see a lot of Amherst Northampton, but you know, check it out. Whatever. It's 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 okay. It started out good. Whatever. Okay, let's look at the very brief reading we have for this re- week. But you know, perhaps um, a little bit more. Um, uh, I don't know. Well, anyway, let's read it. This is yep. called "Expect a Political Uprising." Kathy O'Neill is founder and CEO of the Algorithmic Auditing Company, ORCAA, and author of Weapons of Math Destruction, How Big Data Increases Inequality and Threatens Democracy. Oh my God, I'm in love. 
<laughs> I swear to God, I gotta read that book. Um, I am a, I am so down and down with that title. Okay, she, she writes: the aftermath, aftermath of the coronavirus is likely to include a new political uprising in Occupy Wall Street 2.0, but this time much more massive and angrier. Once the health emergency is over, we will see the extent to which rich, well-connected, and well-resourced communities will have been taken care of, while contingent, poor, and stigmatized communities will have been thoroughly destroyed. Moreover, we will have seen how political action is possible. Multi-trillion billion dollar bailouts and projects can be mobilized quickly, but only if the cause is considered urgent. <clears throat> this mismatch of long-regarded populations finally getting the message that their needs are not only chronically unattended, but also chronically dismissed as politically required will have drastic pitchfork consequences. Whoa, Waylon, chew on that. Mr. Everything's going to go back of, to normal. That's a, lot of, <laughs> that's a lot of absolutism there, I, I just want to say. Man. Well, what do you mean absolutism in what way? Like a big prediction? Like this is going to, like this is, mm -hmm. this is the new American revolution. And first off, well, the, the thing that I'm going to say, okay, center everything back, okay? If you're going to say that we're going to find a revolution and you also associate that revolution with uh, the Occupy Wall Street movement 2.0, what? I What's don't think you quite understand because I think that the Occupy Wall Street movement was something that uh, in the in media portrayal was a very um, was a very it was a marked point in, in our history. But what it actually accomplished was not that much. Didn't really accomplish that much. Well, OK, that's fair. Um, I mean, I've, Sam would say differently. Sam Stoddard, we've had him on before and he would say it put all these things on the table that weren't there before. You know, the, the rise in minimum wage and other things that weren't there before. I get what you're saying. It was portrayed as a loopy little dirty encampment down by Wall Street. But she's saying, and I think that I think that I would kind of go with her. She's saying it's going to be way bigger than Occupy Wall Street. This time, much more massive and angrier. Like, I, I think that she might be right. I mean, she's taking Occupy Wall Street which was big on in um, New York, maybe in Seattle, L.A., you know, 12 people in Northampton. And she's multiplying that by five or six now is, I think, what she would say. Now that becomes something really different. Yeah, if it was the same size, we, we would steamroller over it. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, what, what I – the other part of this is how this is all going to coalesce into some sort of movement, though. So mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that – what you want with, with a true political uprising is what you want is that true Main Street to show its face and to mobilize. Mm -hmm. And what you had with the Occupy, and again, I went to walk, Occupy Boston and I did citizen journalism classes and I, I was, yeah, I was, part was of going it. there. I, I, I believe in that idea of kind of mobilism, especially when it comes to socioeconomic circumstances. The problem was that it was an out. It was the fringe parts of society that were that were joining together in the ranks, yeah. and so the you need that middle base. You need that that top end of the bell curve, and you had the outskirts of the bell curve there. So, if this truly does affect the lower lower middle class, middle class in ways that are are really profound. And there's a way to mobilize those. I think that that's where I could see some some sort of um, change coming in. But an Occupy Wall Street 2.0 is not 
but, is but, not going to make an impact. In, but in Waylon, that's fine. I mean, we might be getting into semantics. I feel like that's exactly what she's saying. She's saying a movement that's like homegrown. I, I think she's using the term Occupy Wall Street to say organic. Like, that's the way I take it. But she's saying what you're saying on top of it, that in fact, it's just going to be flooded with so many more people because, uh, and she focuses on like inequity that's going to be shown after this. I would say actual economic disturbances that are so profound. I mean, we are seeing in the papers, they are talking about uh, unrest globally. You know, there are places where there's like real unrest globally. Now, we usually are pretty uh, insulated from that because of our wealth. But um, I would not dismiss her outright just because she's using the word Occupy Wall Street. I think that what she's saying is that it would be organic like that. And you know, like if a couple of barriers dropped in American politics, it would be really powerful. Like, for example, if the racial barrier dropped, um, a movement would, be, would get huge power. I mean, there's a real argument that could be made that disadvantaged people are kept away from one another like either consciously or unconsciously by the American political system, that poor oh, yeah. African-Americans and poor whites are separated from one another because God forbid they ever got together, you know, Bacon's Rebellion in Virginia being the last time that happened, then yeah. you, you really do have pitchforks coming out, as she says. Like, yeah, it I, I, I totally agree disturbance. with that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it literally is the is the precursor to the United States. I mean, you have indentured servitude and people going, hmm, we're let's take a look at what's going on with the labor class over here. And that was whites and blacks together. And so what do you have? You have this establishment, a, a hardcore establishment of the, of slavery and different rules for whites. And that was really it was a dangerous prospect to have whites, uh, you know, uh, this labor class of right. whites and blacks coming together. And right. so, yeah, absolutely. Separate that. That is that, that was the classic was, theme right. throughout that was all the of the beginning of race laws in America was Bacon's Rebellion because they seen the power of not having those, you know, those that division between whites and blacks. And race race has played that role in America ever since. I mean, a Marxist would say a Marxist would look at it and be like, oh, this is classic divide and conquer type situation. And if it's not race, it's something else that they'll do. It's Catholic, Protestant, or whatever it is. The, the establishment will always figure out how to, or like in India, like Hindus, Muslims. You know, it's just time and memoriam. But if the situation gets so bad, the waters can, the levees can break between these groups. And if the levees broke, because the re reality is that poor whites and poor um, blacks have way more in common with one another than they do with wealthy whites. Um, you know, they actually have a very similar experience because of their economic situation, which defines yeah. so much of life. I mean, yes, I, I want to agree with you what you're saying. The other part of this is that the the general, the, the idea that the individuals that would would be honing in on this and understanding that most are also individuals that are more inclined to vote for Trump. If you if you look at like uh, just education and voting uneducated white males vote disproportionately for Trump, for instance, right? Okay. These are also, so in those situations, the one, the individuals that you would need to enlighten the most to be like this, there are drastic gaps here are the people that are most entrenched in their, in their political ideologies on 
what we're what we're talking about and discussing would be the uprising body yeah. that you need. Well, listen, I mean, I don't think it's I get what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. And this is where like just, you know, caveat here. I'm not a Marxist exactly, although I think Marx really understood a lot about the capitalist class system. Let's just put it that way. I don't think many people disagree with that. Um, so while I'm not a communist or a Marxist, yeah, that's why Marx would say that's why you have to build class consciousness. Like you have to convince people that of the reality, what he would say was the reality. Now, what is reality we can argue about? And so, yes, that's true. Um, you know, Occupy Wall Street did bring in people from very disparate um, places. Like that was one of its strengths. And, you know, populism does that. It will kind of bend around the political spectrum so that hard right and hard left suddenly are in the same room and they're like, wait a second, you're okay. You know, I could work with you. Like, I'm okay with that. And that is what happens during revolutions. Look at the sans culottes, right? In the French Revolution. What were they? They were total hoodlums. They were inner city French hoodlums who, who made common cause with the Jacobins who were fancy pants, bourgeois, you know, revolutionaries. And so it can't, that is the model. The model is, I think, for revolution, you see it in the Iranian Revolution too, is when the barriers that are erected, and I'm not saying consciously, it could be unconsciously, that kind of waffle barriers that separate groups within a society, when dissent gets so high that those levees break, that's when you have pitchforks on the street. Now, I'm not advocating for pitchforks on the street. I live a very comfortable life. I mean, I'm, I could be very much on the other end of that pitchfork. Um, so I'm not, I'm not yelling revolution, but I don't think she's wrong that it's possible. She's making a bold prediction. She's saying, watch out because the level, and this is something you and I have tussled with a little bit. It's not COVID. It's the economic inequality that existed six months before COVID plus COVID, you know, and that's I think, yeah. like epic inequality. Yeah. So I think the catalyst of all this is is the uh, we're going to see the catalyst be how relief is delivered, and if if it is delivered in a way that is going to aid Main Street or Wall Street, mm -hmm. and I think that this is unprecedented what we what we've been seeing. But read an article this morning. Uh, Shake Shack gave gave ten million dollars back because it was one of the first. Uh, of it was one of the yeah. first to get a hundred out of the hundred million dollar pot for small businesses, ten million, hundred billion, hundred billion, yeah, yeah, ten million of that. Okay, yeah. if that is the case, it like that was that's a good sign right there because it means that people are paying attention to what's going on with the distribution of money, mm -hmm. and it's and yeah, there's an understanding and there there's also other nuances here. I don't know Shake Shack, but there's franchises for certain companies, and there might be a small business that took over a Shake Shack or a Five Guys that was like, okay, I'm invest. We just got one. We just got a new one in uh um. Not Shake Shack, but Five Guys in Hadley just opened. Mm -hmm. What's the impact on that if you're a small business owner that just bought sure. the franchise? So there's some nuances there, but yeah. a you, you to, to in order to understand fully if if there was going to be a political uprising, it's it's going to be the consequences of who is fed and who is not when it when it when all said and done. Right. Well, can I quote Leonard Cohen, the prophet? Yeah. I mean, Leonard Cohen's he's a prophet. The guy was a prophet, and he, he always he wrote agree. the homicidal bitchin' that goes on in every kitchen on who will serve and who will eat, you know. And he's, he's taught, the, the name of the piece is democracy. 
and it's about America. And of course, he was a Canadian, so he's very much writing about America as an observer. He's not Bob Dylan. He's not an American himself, he, but he had a very keen eye. It's like and Neil a, Young. Yeah, yeah, Neil Young's okay, but Leonard Cohen's a prophet. You know what I mean? Um, he, he's, to me, is, is, but yes, in some ways, only Canadians really understand America. You know, like they can't, because they see it. They're right next door. They're very similar. It's like de Tocqueville or whatever. It's just like, yeah, oh, exactly. somebody, some outsider. Exactly, exactly. Here's the thing, Waylon. Um, there's like a limit to how much money you can actually print before it loses all its value. So I don't think it's just the distribution here. Like, I think that there's like going to be a real... Like, I think she might say, listen, you're talking about who gets the money. There's not enough money to deal with what just happened on top of other, like, fundamental instability. Like, you and I, we keep getting paid. Like, our life hasn't changed. But just think about everyone. And you've talked about this, too. And, I, and I've yeah. said, and I pushed back on you and said, we don't have 30% unemployment. We have 30% unemployment for the next three months. And then hopefully people are going to go back to work. But this is... I've told you before, after September 11th, I had friends who had businesses below 14th Street. And there was a major loan program to help small businesses below 14th Street in Manhattan. Think about that. Below 14th Street in Manhattan. Now, yeah. take that business loan thing that was a big push and spread it all across the United States of America. I mean, just New York alone, above 14th Street in the boroughs is 20 times below 14th Street. That's just in New York. So I just don't think there's enough money to keep the. That's the thing. Like, where's all this money coming from? It's yeah, no. I I I I agree. I mean, like I said, we're in an unprecedented situation. It's going to take a while to, to um, get out of it. And I don't even think we have so, the solutions that we've come up to come up with in a kind of haphazard way are really efficient solutions when the when you when you really break it down. Mm -hmm. I think that it's going to take uh, you know several years to fully sort this out. Uh, but the other part of this is that it taking, so it could go th either way mm -hmm. because by taking, you know, several years to kind of unravel this entire enigma, you have either people getting impatient and an uprising or the actual, the actual solution has, has taken so long and things have yeah. just kind of, ease back in that people start forgetting what exactly is going on and it's all mm. kind of a shell game i mean if you look at the 2008 recession and the way that we that we um that we got out of that just the bailout and tarp money and all of this stuff it like i i pride myself in reading the news and trying to stay educated and it was so convoluted that it was hard to keep up with what was going on and eventually it gets to the point where stock market comes back up and you uh your 401k got back to a normal level and you start forgetting what happened or yeah. who was bailed out and and what exactly happened so i think that yeah. that you it could go either way you could have people that are like i am so in debt because of this we need a revolution or the 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 real crux of what is going on gets lost in the in the length of time and things going back to normal. Well, absolutely, and you know the the here's the deal: a government can maintain its legitimacy if it's keeping enough of its citizens well fed and entertained, which is what basically what happened, like oh past oh eight. But you know the argument there is is that Trump's election was the was the uh, like revolution there. That's what Bannon would say. He would say this is. 
this election has put someone in because of the housing crisis. That's your delayed response. And this is a populist uprising from middle America about the housing crisis. Um, So, and that's, I think, probably really true. Um, But I agree with you. I mean, generally, if you can keep enough people well-fed and happy and have the freedom to pursue what they want to pursue, you're not going to get a revolution. And that's why 08 didn't lead to a revolution. It led to a revolt. I would say 2016 is a populist revolt. But the fact that that's coming eight years later is interesting to me. It means exactly what you're saying, which is that some people who were going to get picked up and were waiting to get picked up and dusted off never got picked up and dusted off, right? Isn't that what it means? And so that two years pass, four years pass, six years pass, your life, you got picked up and dusted off. I got picked up and dusted off. Millions of other Americans got picked up and dusted off, but there were millions that did not. And those millions of Americans voted for Trump. You know, that would be the claim there. Now, if this is times five, you know, if this is time five, then you do have you do have an even bigger possible, not just for a revolt, but for a revolution. Trump is not a revolution, but he is a revolt. It's a populist revolt. I would say when it comes to idea of when we're talking about the, the idea of a revolution, yeah. It, it all comes down to your definition of what a revolution is. It's the political revolution working within the system and changing no. the landscape of the no. House and the Senate no. and the presidency. No. So honestly, I don't think a revolution is going to happen. Okay. We have such an entrenched uh, political uh, environment and, and, and dare I say sound political environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, 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 over the course of history, there's a lot of places that have 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 created governments and everything. Two, we have a lot that's that's wrong with it. But the the separation of uh, or the 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 executive and legislative and judicial branches working in conjunction, the checks and balances that we have is pretty sound. And in order to throw over to overthrow that system and to start anew, I think is it would be it would take a civil war. And I don't think we're on the uh, the we're on the verge of any yeah, sort of civil you know, war. I think that a revolution in my eyes comes in this in the form of working the ballot box and understanding a from in my a okay. local, state, and federal level that you have, especially when we're talking about the the individuals that are disenfranchised in the in both the economic circumstances of their life mm-hmm. and just literally disenfranchised from not being able to vote in in things. I think that that's that's the revolution that I can okay. see working within the system rather than than but totally rehauling it. That's fine. I think we should come up with a different word for it because that's almost the definition of revolution is that the system itself is overturned. And I think that your okay. point. Your well, point, then I would say that we then there's not going to be a revolution. Yeah, no, and I understand that. And there's a lot of soundness to our system, even though it's rife with polarization and stuff like that. Like, and there's a lot that works by it. Let me say this, however. If you were to pick a country in the world in 1978 that wasn't going to have a revolution, top five Iran was not going to have a revolution. It is not where you would have chosen to have a revolution. A year later, the Shah is on a plane leaving. He says beautifully, he says, it, you know, he basically says, it, or, you know, it happened so fast, like snow in a puddle is what he says, you know, and be, but there were some really underlying factors there. It wasn't yeah, like that, CIA involvement and, and a whole bunch of nefarious no, acts no, by the United no, States no, government. No, 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 The government. Yeah? What are you talking about? The CIA yeah, put the Shah in power in 53. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I know, but this is 79. 
You know, I'm the, the, well, you, that having a hand in doing sure, so is okay. going to raise a lot of resentment, is what I'm saying. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. But they, all, there's all these conditions out there as well. Now, I am going to definitely get this light right here. Oh, right. um, there you go. Oh. Right. <laughs> what? Uh. Waylon, you will do as I say. You will cue the closing music. Cue the closing music. You will bring the like a... the orange man over, and you will sign up with the title to My Son Rockwell, Who Needs a Van. All right, folks, you've been listening to the Free Associates. This was a fun conversation with the whale dog and I. And um, if you're listening on WMUA Amherst, keep listening. We're pushing this out at noon every day. If you're on Facebook Live, thanks for joining us, and please like our page. We are not experts. We know we're not experts. We pride ourselves on not being particularly experts, or we are somewhat specialists on things that we really care about, but nothing that we would talk about in public. So we're glad that you joined us, Waylon. Thanks for running the rig for us. Oh, yeah. It was was a good day, too. It was was good. It's good. Oh, yeah, you're a master. And until next time, you guys be well. Drink Gatorade. Uh, as Waylon's dad would say, be don't be stupid and be smart. <laughs> be smart, be safe, and don't be stupid. All right, we'll see you soon.